Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Tuesday, March 2nd. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's what you need to know today. Why Americans are feeling more hopeful. Plus, how people with disabilities could go to space. But first, today's one big thing. Latin America turns to Russia and China to get vaccinated. Yesterday, President Joe Biden had his first virtual meeting with Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador. And they talked about a lot of things. But what we want to focus on was actually the coronavirus vaccine part of their conversation. And our world editor, Dave Lawler, is here. Dave, why was this a really important part of the conversation yesterday? So Mexico, like a lot of countries around the world, is struggling to roll out vaccines. And so they're looking north at the United States. Lopez Obrador was expected to ask in the meeting whether the U.S. would consider sharing doses of vaccines with Mexico. The answer from the White House was no. The focus for now is on making sure that Americans have access to vaccines, after which time the focus will shift to the rest of the world, including, of course, the U.S. neighbors, Mexico and Canada. Dave, how are other countries in the Americas handling this? Right. So a few countries are doing relatively well. Chile, Barbados have both been able to get quite a few vaccines, but they're the exceptions. Most countries are really struggling, and they've had to look at Russia and China, and in some cases, India, to provide vaccines because they just haven't been able to get the kinds of doses that we in the United States are now rolling out. How many of those then are making their way to the Americas? So at least 10 countries have signed up to receive both Russian vaccines and Chinese vaccines, 10 countries for each of those. The shipments are often quite small, actually, in scale, but they are greeted with enthusiastic headlines and thanks from world leaders in a lot of cases because, uh, look, people will take vaccines wherever they can get them at this point as long as they're safe and effective. And if it's coming from Russia or China, there's going to be some goodwill for those countries if they are willing to provide vaccines. So how does that vaccine diplomacy put pressure on the U.S.? If Russia and China are doing this, does that put extra pressure on the U.S. to do it as well? It does. And so right now, the White House line is that, look, we donated $4 billion to the Global COVAX initiative. That's going to help countries get vaccines down the line. And we'll start thinking about donating doses once we've taken care of our needs here in the United States. But certainly China and Russia have moved a lot quicker in terms of donating or selling doses months ahead of when that is likely to happen from the United States. And they're soaking up a certain amount of praise in the meantime. And why do you think this is important for us, apart from the diplomacy, apart from the fact that the U.S. is very concentrated on taking care of its own citizens first? Can you remind us why this matters for our closest neighbors to also be properly vaccinated? So this is a global pandemic. Mexico is right next door. So obviously, in order to feel fully comfortable with the situation domestically in the U.S., we'd like our neighbors to be in a position where they are getting the virus under control But also just being able to focus on a recovery from this pandemic globally, we're really going to need a global vaccination strategy rather than one that's just focused country by country. Dave Lawler writes the Axios World newsletter. In 15 seconds, a new effort to recruit astronauts with disabilities. Welcome back to Axios Today. 
The European Space Agency recently announced the Para-Astronaut Feasibility Project. The plan is to recruit people with disabilities to research how they may go into space one day. Axios' space reporter Miriam Kramer has been writing about long-held beliefs about who is best to travel in space and how that's limited the industry itself and the people it inspires. Hey, Miriam, how far back does this conversation about who can actually go into space go? It's interesting. Even as early as the 1950s, NASA was actually studying people with disabilities. A really good example of this is this group called the Gallaudet 11. They were these 11 deaf men who were recruited by NASA, basically had damage to their vestibular systems, which made them immune to motion sickness, which in space is a benefit. A lot of people get sick in space. (laughs) They were considered sort of better for spaceflight than many of the astronauts they had in the program already, yet they were never actually considered to fly. How has it changed now, especially with the European Space Agency's announcement? Why is this conversation happening now? The European Space Agency sort of sees this as a meaningful opening of the door to potential new recruits. It's an opening door of the conversation for these space agencies. You might see NASA start thinking about something like this. What difference does it make if you're in space? Do your legs need to work? Truthfully, not often. I mean, you know, if you're on Mars, it might help to be able to walk. But when you're on a spacewalk, astronauts' legs are actually kind of pinned down and unable to move. It's seen as something that inhibits their ability to sort of move around outside of the space station. Are there any people who are expressing concern about having different people with physical abilities in space? These are the very early days of this conversation. There's a very good argument (laughs) for... The fact that as we push deeper into space, you're going to need to sort of think about disability in space. People have gone almost blind on the space station before. Do we know what the next practical step is yet? At the moment, they are looking for people with physical disabilities, lower limb deficiency, amputees, pronounced leg difference, or short stature. But what people are hoping is that that group will be expanded. It will become less narrow in the future. Miriam Kramer is a space reporter for Axios. Thanks, Miriam. Thanks so much. Axios has been doing a coronavirus poll with Ipsos for almost a year, and we have good news. For the first time, the poll shows that for many Americans, the tide is turning as we round out a year of living through a global pandemic. Axios' managing editor, David Nather, is here to tell us about what this latest polling shows. Good morning, David. Good morning. How is the mood changing among Americans? It's finally getting more optimistic. We asked people how they had been feeling over the last year, and it was all negative stuff. People felt frustrated, stressed, worried, overwhelmed, burned out. It used to be that 20% of Americans felt hopeful during the past year. Now that's more than double to 48%. Now it seems that people are finally seeing some kind of light at the end of the tunnel. And is that light at the end of the tunnel because of vaccines? A lot of it seems to be. People who have been vaccinated are more likely to say that they're hopeful than those who haven't. But also older people, 65 and older, are more likely to say they're hopeful. These are the people who are getting vaccinated. And Democrats are more likely to feel hopeful than Republicans and independents. They're somewhat more motivated, perhaps, to go out and seek the shots. David Nather is Axios' managing editor. Thanks, David. Thank you. And speaking of being hopeful, 
Before we go today, it's been a long 12 months as we approach the one-year mark of living in the pandemic. If you think back to March of last year, I'm sure you remember a lot of big, tough decisions that were made. A lot of us were sent home from our offices. We started to live in quarantine. Many of us canceled plans, called off weddings, even moved to new places. Next week on the podcast, we'll be doing some special episodes about those very decisions, and we want to hear your stories. We'd love for you to record yourself using the Voice Memo app on your smartphone, answering this question. What's one important decision you made that week back in March of 2020? Whether it was as a parent, a business leader, a teacher, a frontline worker, a friend, or otherwise. Please tell us, and don't forget to include your name and where you live. You can email the file to podcasts at axios.com. And thanks to everyone who's already sent in their stories. We're very much enjoying hearing them. That's all we've got for you today. If you want more news before tomorrow, tune into our afternoon podcast, Axios Recap. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.